Hey, Jason here. And Paul. Got a couple quick announcements, fun announcements, before we get to the episode today. So we mentioned on a recent episode that we were working on putting together a Discord and a Patreon, and guess what? It's here. Both of them. Both of them are here for you to enjoy. So let's talk about Discord first. Maybe you're familiar with Discord, but if not, let me give you a quick little idea of what it's about, because I was not super familiar with Discord until fairly recently. So here's how it works. Instagram is all about photos and videos, right? Right. Facebook is all about keeping up with your friends. Yeah, important life moments. Throw it on Facebook, let your family see. Yeah. Twitter, you know, you just throw out little blurbs and have kind of interactions with people that way. What I think Discord really excels at, what it's specifically built for, is to facilitate conversations and communication with people, like more in-depth than you can do on any of those other social media platforms. So essentially, if you come to our Discord server, you're going to find a bunch of chat rooms where you can talk about the podcast. You can talk about your vacation plans if you want to go to Japan and want to kind of bounce some ideas off of people or something. Maybe you want to ask for advice. You know, we're on there a lot, helping people out, answering questions. Maybe you want to share some Japan pics. Maybe you want to look at other people's pics, get an idea of what kind of places you might want to go. Maybe you're really into anime. Some great anime conversations going on. We have a place for Japan-related memes. All this stuff and more awaits. I've really been enjoying people sharing their travel plans. I think it's cool to look at what do other people want to do? What are other people planning? Yeah, it's been really fun. I'm super excited about this. It just lets us have a more open communication pathway with our listeners. Come for the travel planning, stay for the memes. There you go. So if you want to join the Discord, you can find a link in the show notes for this episode and every future episode. You can also find the link on our website under the travel tools section, because I think this is going to be really useful for people that are planning to travel to Japan or just like Japan, you know. We just talk about Japan. It's fun. Well, Jason, you also mentioned that we now have a Patreon. I did, and we do. (laughs) Patreon.com slash Sightseeing Japan podcast. So you can head on there if you want to further support the podcast. And you get some perks in return. Yeah. Few of the benefits you can get on there right now is early access to episodes before they're released voting on episode topics for upcoming seasons and access to the list of episodes for the current season so you can see what's coming ahead of time. At the $10 a month tier, you can even get a shout out on the podcast. By the way, shout out to Nicholas McKibben, our first Shogun level patron. Thank you, Nicholas. Nicholas. So if you want to join our Patreon, you can also find the link to that in the show notes or on our website under the donate section. Our website is sightseeingjapanpodcast.com, by the way. Have we announced all our announcements? That's it for now. Great. Let's start this episode, eh, Paul? Let's do it. Welcome to Sightseeing Japan podcast where we explore the land of smoking volcanoes. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And we just recently came back to the United States from three weeks in Japan. 
At least I was there for three weeks. Paul was there for two weeks. Keep rubbing that in my face, bro. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. I'm just trying to make it clear for our listeners exactly what happened. That's all. Okay. Yeah, so last episode we did, I rambled on and on and on about my week in Japan without Paul and how amazing it was and how much Paul missed out on. And now this week, we're talking about the first week that Paul and I spent together in Japan. And Paul actually gets a chance to talk a little bit and it's going to be great because we had an incredible time. Hey, I got to talk a little bit in the last one. You know? Cool. Oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, that looks nice. You did a great job reacting. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So we left off last time with Jason not even knowing how much he drank and uh, missing his train in the morning to come meet up with me. Hold on. Let me... So... I very clearly remember setting my alarm for the next morning to catch my train. I blame the electronics. I don't, something, some weird glitch happened. Sure. (laughs) Actually, I bet what probably happened is the alarm went off. I woke up and I I was like probably in that in-between state where I'm not quite awake. And I turned off the alarm and just went straight back to bed. That's probably what happened. That seems plausible. Yeah. But I remember waking up. And just immediately, like as soon as I was conscious, I was like, oh crap, it's later than it's supposed to be, isn't it? <laughs> and I looked at my watch, and I'm like, oh man, I missed my train. So I didn't shower, I just like got dressed, I checked out of my hotel, I got a taxi. Like I, I was planning on having enough time to walk to the Shinkansen station, but I just ended up paying for a taxi to get there. And I had already booked like the train, you know, I had my ticket and everything. And so I went to one of the machines to try to like book the next train, hoping that that would work. But I I knew, I knew it wouldn't let me because if you already have a ticket for a train, it's not going to let you get a ticket for like another train that's going at the same time. You know what I mean? So I had to actually go up to the the guy at the ticket booth and be like, yeah, I'm a dumb guy, Gene. I missed the train. Can you get me a ticket for the next train? And it was easy and, you know, helpful, but it was embarrassing. (laughs) So on my ride down to Kagoshima to meet up with Paul, I made a stop at Hiroshima Station, and I was really excited to find this little Red Wing Shoes gachapon machine, because Red Wing Shoes, if you haven't heard of them, they're a shoe company. They're famous for their boots. They make like really high quality boots, and it's a local company for us. Like It's right by here, and I, I love their boots. I own a couple pairs of them. So I thought it was really funny that I just found this gachapon machine in Japan selling little itty-bitty versions of the boots. So I got my exact pair of boots in miniature, and then I got a couple other pairs of boots for some podcast friends that we met up with. We'll get to that a little later, but just thought that was really cool. Yeah. My dad worked at Red Wing for a little while. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and got the got the employee discount while he was there. Well, you didn't point that out when I uh, when I was handing out our little gifts to the podcast listeners. I, I'd forgotten. Mm. All right, so time for Paul's story. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. So my trip to Japan wasn't quite as smooth as yours. My first flight was delayed. They text me in the middle of the night to let me know which I did wake up when they did that. So that was actually kind of nice because I was going to leave for 5 a.m. for the airport. So I was able to sleep in a little bit longer. 
but they said my flight would be an hour delayed. It ended up being about two and a half hours delayed, which made me very worried that I was going to miss my connecting flight. But it all worked out because my connecting flight was also delayed. Lucky you. (laughs) Lucky me. (laughs) So, you know, I did make it to Japan. I hit about eight hours on those planes, man, and I just am really uncomfortable after that point. But I made it. When I arrived, I was so tired. I was just like, I'm going to my hotel. You know, I skipped the JR pass and all that, but I already talked about that last time. And I made the mistake of trying to walk to my hotel. So I flew into Narita. Mm -hmm. Narita is not a walkable city. Mm. So don't recommend walking to a hotel in Narita. Just because things are spread out? Yeah, I knew it would take a while, but the roads it had me walking down were like no sidewalk and it was kind of muddy and the cars were flying by at like 50 miles an hour. Hmm. And I had to walk through one tunnel that didn't have a sidewalk. That was kind of scary. Jeez. And I eventually made it. I should have just taken a cab, but I'm so stubborn. I was really annoyed at how much I had to pay for that hotel. The one night I had to stay in Narita was like more than twice as much as I spent at any other hotel on the whole trip. So I was like, I'm not paying 30 bucks for a cab ride when I already paid this much for a hotel. I took a cab to the airport in the morning. I learned (laughs) my lesson. Yeah. But the hotel was cool. Made it back to the airport the next morning. Got my JR pass and flew to Kagoshima. And I thought I was going to miss that flight because the security line was forever long. But I got to that flight like 10 minutes before it was supposed to take off. And I was like the fifth one in line. They hadn't even started boarding yet because everybody was caught in the security line. Wow. So that flight ended up being like an hour plus late as well. But I made it to Kagoshima. There was a shuttle bus from the airport to the main station. It was super easy. I got there easily and I beat Jason. You did. I hope you weren't waiting too long for me. It was less than an hour. All right. I found uh, some conveni food and ate, and then you showed up. Cool. So now we're together. Yeah. Doing things. Yeah, we met up at Kagoshima Chuo Station, which is kind of the biggest main station in Kagoshima. It's where the Shinkansen shows up. So if you're getting there by train, that's where you're going to be. So our first destination was Senganen, a garden kind of on the outskirts of town that's quite famous. The first bus we were waiting for never showed up. I'm not sure what happened there. I very much prefer taking trains over buses in Japan. They're more reliable and more consistent in the way that you use them. Like buses around the country can be really different in like, where do you get on? Like, do you get on at the front of the bus, on the back of the bus? Does it matter? Where do you scan your card? Do you have to pay cash? How do you pay cash? I don't know. There's just a lot of variables on the bus. Yeah, you can figure it out, but it's not quite as slick as the trains. Yeah, and I I will say I took more buses on this trip than I ever did on any past trip, and I feel much more comfortable with it now. Yeah, and most of the buses take the Suica card now, which makes it easier. Yeah. One thing I'll say, though, just in general about those buses is that if you are using the Suica, I mean, it makes it a lot easier, for one, but you need to know that there are usually a couple different places to tap it Like when you get on the bus, there'll be kind of a vertical pad next to the door when you walk into the bus. 
And then as you leave, there's like a horizontal pad right next to the driver that you need to tap it on as you get out. Yeah. So you tap it when you get on because it registers how long you were on the bus and the fare might be different based upon when you got on and when you got off. Right. It was interesting that bus didn't show up too because we went to the tourist information center. They're the one that told us to go wait for that bus at that time. Right, they told us specifically where to be and what bus to watch for and it just didn't come. So eventually we went back there and was like, yeah, that... We didn't see the bus. Can you yeah. tell us what the next best one is? But then we got on the City View bus that stops at all like the main attractions yeah. and we got out there pretty easily. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if you want to hear us talk at length about all the things to do in Kagoshima, check out episode 102. Just want to throw that out there because you know we're going to go through it a little bit faster, I think. But yeah, the City View bus, is it just does this big loop around the city and passes all of these touristy spots. And as you're on the bus, it tells you what you're seeing out in the windows. And it's really convenient and like informative and yeah, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And you can get like a day pass for it and stuff. Yep. So yeah, we took that out to Senganen. And there's kind of a lot to see around that garden. There's a little mochi shop that we stopped at first to sample some mochi. They had three different kinds. Yeah, those were good. They were pretty good. And we got some tea along with that. I think it was hojicha, as I recall, uh, roasted green tea. Then we stopped at the Shimazu residence. There's actually a building there that the Shimazu clan used to live in. Those are the people that kind of ruled the area for a long time. Yeah, there's some really cool history there. Yeah. Little mini replica steam engine I thought was really cool. Yeah, one of the... Shimazu patriarchs, he was really into modern Western stuff. Like he just wanted to modernize everything and he started the first factory in Japan there. A lot of interesting stuff there. Yeah. So then we got to explore the garden a little bit and it was a really interesting garden. It was a little different than any other Japanese garden I've been to. Yeah. It was unusual. Honestly, it wasn't even super clear to me like where the garden started and ended it was way more spread out than a normal garden there was this big gravel part in the middle that was just gravel but then around the edges there were trees and little statues and stuff yeah but there was one part up by the house that had a pond and some bridges and looked kind of more like a traditional japanese garden yeah i think my best pictures are from that area where you're looking through that and then of course, this whole time you can see the volcano. We haven't even mentioned the volcano. Yeah, yeah what uh, Kagoshima is most famous for is having a volcano, Sakurajima, right across the bay from it. And it's a super active volcano that's smoking almost every day. So they use that as borrowed scenery for the garden, but it's not entirely used to the fullest. Like there's a few places where it works really well. But there's also tall walls around the garden. So there's a lot of places where you can't see the volcano super well either. Like this, I'm showing Paul a picture right here. Yeah, that was like the best view, I think. Yeah, that was the view. You're looking through kind of this garden area. There's like a little stone lantern and a stone bridge, kind of tropical plants around. Because like you're, you're at the very southern tip of Kyushu, that's where Kagoshima is. Like you're starting to get into the subtropical sort of climate. Yeah. So they got palm trees around. Yeah. That's where I saw my first blooming sakura of the trip. Mm. They had a nice white sakura tree in that garden. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, we stopped at a little cafe and had some matcha with little sweets. That was pretty cool. The sweets are made out of sweet potatoes, right? Yep. Those are tasty. Those are good. I also was really excited to try a Kagoshima specialty called Shirokuma, which means, well, I mean, if you translate Shiro and Kuma directly, it is white bear, but that's what they use in Japan to refer to polar bears. So it means polar bear. It's basically shaved ice that's got a bunch of fruit on it. They're like mandarin oranges and kiwis, and there's a cherry on there. And then they put a bunch of sweetened condensed milk on the shaved ice, and it it was so good. Like, I've had shaved ice in Japan before, but this was easily the best. So we can't even forget, probably the coolest part was that there were some hiking trails up above the garden, and everything up there was moss-covered. Yeah. It was really cool. Even the path that you're actually walking on, like you're walking on moss. And usually, you know, that kills the moss, but it's just so humid, I guess. And like the perfect amount of shade in there, the the moss is just everywhere. Yeah. There's also a little cat shrine. There is, yep. Um, And then before we left, there's a museum there, but the main building was closed. We did get to go to the annex. Which had a really cool suit of armor is what I remember about it. Yeah, there was a lot of interesting stuff in there. They had like old dolls. Yeah. And a lot of accessories for the dolls. Yeah, they had a lot of dolls. So then we took the bus, the City View bus, back to Tenmonkan, which is the area of Kagoshima that we were staying in. Uh, I stopped at a ramen place called Tontoro because... Of course, I tried Onomichi ramen. Now I got to try Kagoshima ramen. And it was also amazing, believe it or not. Oh, the pork was so tender, just like falling apart and so fatty. And they had these like crunchy bits on top and mushrooms. Uh, I went back there twice too. Like every, every city I visited, if I tried the local specialty, I had to try it from a couple different restaurants, you know? Actually, this one, I I think I did end up just going to the same restaurant twice because it was that good. So I had a ton of really good food in Japan. Sometimes I had to seek it out a little bit to find uh, vegan stuff I could eat. But if anybody's interested in looking for vegan food in Japan, Happy Cow is the website or the app to look at. I'm going to be going in there in the next week or two and putting in a whole bunch of reviews to all the places I ate at. So I would, I would use that as a good source if you're looking for, what did Paul eat? Nice. So that's the end of day eight of our trip. Day nine, I your, was... Your day numbers I, mean nothing to me. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep calling them <laughs> that because that's how I experienced it. Good, good, good. And that's how our listeners are experiencing it too. <laughs> Day eight was Volcano Day, right? You mean nine. Nine. This is nine. Didn't you just say eight? I just said that was the end of day eight. Oh, okay, okay. So on day nine, I was very excited about this. Me too. So we took a ferry to the volcano. The ferry's actually kind of a nice experience. Yeah, you can get great pictures of the volcano from the ferry. It's only like a 15-minute ferry ride, but they have food and vending machines we actually saw dolphins in the bay. Yeah, huge pot of dolphins. <laughs> playing around as we were going. Yeah. And then you get closer and closer to the volcano and you get really great views of it as you're coming up. Yep. As we talked about in the Kagoshima episode, 
the ferry runs every 15 minutes, right? And then late at night, like it runs 24-7, but late at night it's every 30 minutes instead of 15. So you can just wander on down to the the port whenever you feel like going over there. But I recommend getting there early because you want to spend the day biking around the volcano. You got to get started early. You also want to rent your bike before other people get all the good bikes. And we got some recommendations for these bikes. So there are multiple places that you can rent bikes. The one place I would recommend is go to this hotel called Hotel Rainbow Sakurajima. Check the show notes. I have it written down in there. The reason you want to go to this place is because they rent electric bikes. And at least from my research, the other places don't. Maybe they do now. I don't know. But the nice thing about this hotel is it doesn't seem like they really advertise their bike rentals. Like we had to just walk into the lobby and ask them, do you guys rent bikes? And they had some sitting there in the lobby. And the course around the volcano is surprisingly hilly. I mean... I wasn't too surprised, I guess. Well, I thought like I thought we would be going kind of around the very edge of it, which you would think is would be pretty flat. It's right at sea level, you know. But you do end up going up and down a lot of hills. You cut inland a little bit. Like you're not fully on the yeah. the very outside you are of for the island. A little while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, there are a lot of hills, is my point. Yes, I was very glad we had electric bikes. Yes, we saw saw people doing it without electric bikes, and they looked miserable. Yeah, they were just huffing, huffing. Yeah. So, yeah, Hotel Rainbow, Sakurajima. One thing I do want to say about those bikes that they don't tell you is that when you turn on the, like, electric assist system thing, you can't have a foot sitting on the bike pedal. That'll mess it up. It won't initialize properly, and it's not going to help you at all. I found that out the hard way, and I <laughs> climbed up a whole hill before I realized, like, wait a minute, this bike isn't doing anything, and now I'm covered in sweat. Good thing I had my little handkerchief in my pocket to mop up my sweat, but I had to Google it and like figure out on my own what was going on with this thing. Yeah, and this is where I got sunburned. Coming from five months of winter, I had zero tan mm. and arms outstretched on the bike. It was a sunny day. Whoo, I got yeah. burned. I felt good that day, but the next day I did not. Yeah, for me, this was an additional sunburn on top of my sunburn from my first bike trip. My skin's still peeling a little bit. Me too. I'm just at the very end of the We're peeling. We're like over two weeks later now. Yeah. So yeah, get some sunscreen. And uh, I actually did even go into a convenience store and ask them if they had sunscreen, and they did not. You need to go to a drugstore, apparently, to get sunscreen in Japan. So do that. Be prepared. But man, that bike ride was amazing. It was so cool. There's so many good lookout points where you can just get great views of the volcano. And also... You get great views of the bay, too, Mm -hmm. on the other side. Yeah, I kept just looking around as we were going and stopping like every 20 feet to take pictures. I'm sorry about that, Paul. I know I take (laughs) more pictures than you might like sometimes. I took a lot of pictures, too, but I think you may have taken a few more than me. Probably. But yeah, the volcano was smoking all day. It was clear. There weren't a lot of clouds. We just could see everything. Yeah, There are volcano eruption shelters all over the island. That's kind of cool to see. Yeah, we got to see a bunch of ash 
kind yeah. of building up on the sides of the road. It's everywhere. Like it gets really thick on the side of the road, but then even in the middle of the road, it's like you'll see the tracks where the cars are driving through and kicking up the ash. And then all over the rest of the road, there's just like ash getting blown around by the wind and stuff. Yeah. And besides all the lookout points, there's the buried Tory gate, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Is a originally a three meter tall Tory gate and about what, maybe three feet of it is left sticking out of the <laughs> dried lava. Yeah. It's crazy. There was a big eruption in 1914 that buried this gate. And the whole village that yeah. was there. Well, right next to the gate, there's a little sign that kind of talks about that day when it erupted in 1914. And it's, it's, it's scary. I mean, thinking about living through a volcanic eruption, like a really serious one. Yeah. Just having that kind of described to you in detail, like, oh, yeah everybody's wells like back then people used wells to get their water all the wells started boiling dead <laughs> fish just floated to the top of the water around the volcano like and you just know oh great yeah this is not gonna end well right the last lookout point was particularly amazing yeah at least the direction we were going yeah great views there was a sign that kind of showed you the different parts of the forest on the volcano like there have been multiple big eruptions, you know, where huge amounts of lava just covered part of the island. And you can actually see the difference in the trees that grew on these different sections based on when lava flowed through. Yeah, that how long it's sense. been since lava flowed over those particular trees. Yeah, like parts of the forest are different colors because of when, how long ago lava flowed through there. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. They also had this rock where people would leave like one yen coins just to show how quickly the ash builds up. Like you can just set a coin there and then sit there for a while and see ash like settle on it. Yeah, it's crazy. You can't see the ash in the air, but it's, it's there. Yeah. Well, and when you're biking along the side of the road and cars drive by and kick it up, you feel it in yeah, your eyes sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> we got that. There are also some cool... Uh, little food stalls and souvenir shops at this last lookout point. I got a really cool t-shirt. Yeah. I got a few little uh, charm souvenir things. Uh, so in the Kagoshima episode, we talked about how in Kagoshima, they sweep up all of the volcanic ash so that it doesn't clog up the storm drains in town. So they sweep it into bags, they leave it on the side of the road, and then the city comes and picks it up and they make things. And one of the things that they make is the little souvenirs. They actually have volcanic ash in there that you can take home. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I have some volcanic ash now. From, from the, from from the erupting volcano that we biked around. Yeah. It just feels cool saying that. Yeah. The last little stretch we biked was the lava trail, which was kind of cool. It was right along the shore, and it just had a bunch of dried lava everywhere. It was super cool. And then once we returned our bikes to the hotel, right behind the hotel, there are foot baths. Like, of course, since there's a volcano, there are hot springs, and they route the water from the hot springs down this little foot bath thing. You can just hang out there and rest your feet. It's great. It felt pretty good after, I think it took us a little over four hours. Yeah, it was like a 20-mile 
bike ride. Yeah. It was perfect. So it felt very to good to sit in those uh, foot baths for a little while and get your last close-up views of the volcano while you're there. Definitely. So that was day nine. Day 10, more Kagoshima. Yeah, our last day in Kagoshima. Yeah, at this point, we still hadn't seen all that much like in Kagoshima itself. So we went around to all the museums and the sites in the city. Where did we start, Paul? We started at the Museum of the Meiji Restoration. A lot of people from Kagoshima played a very significant role in the events that uh, led to that and afterwards in the government that were formed and uh, other major events. So that was really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Saigo Takamori is kind of a local hero. He led the Satsuma Rebellion. And in this museum, they had like a, a robot Saigo that had this little uh, animatronic show. They kind of went yeah. through like the, the politics of the Meiji Restoration. and The robot show was really cool. Yeah, it was. It was really interesting to me, like how much of a local hero Saigo seems to be. He's everywhere in Kagoshima. Everywhere. You just see that name all over the place. And his little his face on everything. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So after the museum, that's kind of right by Kagoshima Chuo Station, and there's a Ferris wheel on top of the station that we wanted to ride. So we headed over there, but when we got there, the Ferris wheel wasn't open quite yet. So we had a little bit of time to kill. Unfortunately, right across from the entrance to the Ferris wheel, there was an arcade. And we could have wasted so many hours there if we wanted to. It was I a mean, pretty cool arcade. It was a nice arcade. We found this new uh, rhythm game that I'd never seen before where there's like an anime avatar on this giant screen in front of you. Like it's the size of your entire torso. And you dance like mirroring the motions of this kind of anime style avatar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's doing like pop style dances and where she puts her hand, you have to touch the screen there. And sometimes you have to drag your hand on the screen and you're supposed to do like left and right hand based on the color of the dots. But I had trouble with that. Sometimes I need more practice. Yeah. It takes a little getting used to. And I was glad that I was able to find that same game later on in the trip so I could try it out a little more. Yeah, yeah. I had to play all my favorite songs on there. Also, I'm very proud to announce that I won my very first crane game at this arcade. Congratulations. Congratulations to you for getting the prize because uh, I won a little plushie and gave it to Paul. Let's be real here. Like, I spent all my last coins on it and I got it like right next to the drop. Like, I almost had it. Why you got to diminish my accomplishment like that, man? I, I'm just stating facts. It was, it was a team effort. I, I won the plushie. You, I'm just, there's no denying that's, that. That's a fact. There's no denying that. Anyways, we eventually got on the Ferris wheel. And it was pretty cool. Because it was all the way on top of, like, I don't know, this five-story mall. And then it was a big Ferris wheel on top of that. So you got really high up there. And we got... Last cool views of the volcano, but with the city and bay in front of it. So that was a really cool view, I think. Yeah, it was a cool Ferris wheel. And there are different types of carriages that you can get into. Like if you you had to pay a little extra, or no, you didn't have to pay extra. You just had to request 
the clear ones, like they had ones that were completely clear acrylic all the way around, ceiling, floor, everything. Yeah. You just we had were to like, wait a little yeah. longer. And they were like 30 minutes and we were like, uh, yeah, never we're not going to wait for that. <laughs> but even the other ones that aren't clear, they have kind of, uh, it's just like a metal grate sort of thing, right? Yeah. And there's enough room that you can kind of poke your phone's camera lens through and get unobstructed pictures. Yep. So yeah, it was cool. I got some nice pictures, I think, of the volcano and the city. Uh, after that, we made our way to the Remekan, which is a history museum. And I mean, there uh, it's got so much in there. It's a huge, so much mu- history. Huge yeah. museum. You could spend all day there if you wanted to. Like, it goes through the entire history of like humanity in that part of the country. Yeah, and, from like thousands and thousands of years ago to modern day. Yeah, and they have artifacts all the way through. They have ten thousand year old artifacts. It's insane. Yep. So that was cool. <laughs> it was really cool. Uh, then I think we went to try to see Saigo's death place, right? I mean, we kind of got to see it. <laughs> they were doing some construction or something, and all there was was like this little pillar that says, oh, this is where Saigo died. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't much. Yeah, but from there, we walked over to the nearby uh, Saigo Cave, they call it. This is kind of where Saigo made his last stand in the Satsuma Rebellion before he was mortally wounded. That was kind of interesting to see. It's a really small cave. And didn't he spend like a few days in there with his men? Yeah, that was like his command post for his for the final battles. Mm. That was kind of cool. Uh, from there, we walked up to... Well, we walked into Shiroyama Park. And then there's an observation deck in the park that gives you really great views of the volcano. Again, you see like the city and the bay, and the volcano, and there are kind of these trees around that you can use to kind of frame it in kind of a fun way. So we uh, we said our sad goodbyes to the volcano. That was our last chance to get some pictures and stuff. That yeah, was a good last view, though. Yep. And that was the end of day 10. Day 11... Spent in Kitakyushu. Got up, took the train north. Kitakyushu, I mean, literally means North Kyushu. It's like the furthest north city on the island of Kyushu. First place we stopped there was Kokura Castle, which is kind of right by Kokura Station, yep. which is kind of the place that it makes sense to stay. Oh, and Paul, I got to say, that hotel that you found, it's like on top of the station. I, I loved that hotel. That was the best hotel of the trip, I think. Yeah, it was probably the most spacious room. And we had that great view of the city from up high. I couldn't believe it. Like a huge panoramic, like giant window just overlooking the city from the 17th floor, was it? Something like that. With two big comfortable chairs and a table right in front of the window. Yeah, it was amazing. Two full-sized beds that were nice. What was that place called? Do you have the name of the hotel? Um, It was Station Hotel Kokura. All right. Recommend it. Pretty great. Yeah, it wasn't expensive either. No, I think that was like one of the cheapest hotels <laughs> yeah. we got too. Great bang for the buck. I think Kitakyushu is just not a highly visited place, probably. So anyways, this castle. It was great. It was just surrounded on almost all angles by cherry blossom trees. And they were all in full bloom. Full. Could it not have been fuller. Incredible. It was so amazing. I took... Probably 100 pictures just at this castle. 
maybe yeah, more. It was, it was great. There was a pretty nice sized park in front of it on one side that was just full of cherry blossom trees. Uh, the castle itself was also a museum. That was kind of fun. Yeah, a lot of interactive exhibits in there. Yeah. There's like this big screen that kind of uses like augmented reality so you can see what you would look like in all these traditional Japanese clothes. There's a place where you can try out Yabusame, which is horseback archery. Yeah, the little mechanical horses you could like sit on and, <laughs> and shoot from. Yeah, and they had like swords and... Did they have samurai armor in there? I don't remember. I don't remember armor. I remember swords. Well, it's a cool place. I recommend going inside. And you can get a combo ticket of like the castle, the garden. Castle also has a garden. And then there's, a museum, there's a museum. We didn't we go didn't to the museum. Do. Right. But yeah, it was a really cool place. Nice lookout from the top floor. Yep. The garden was okay. It was okay. It was okay. It was not the greatest garden. But, you know, it was only like 200 more yen to get a ticket for the garden yeah. or something. It was, so. it was pretty small. It was nice. Yeah. Uh, from there, we walked to the Toto Museum. It was kind of a long walk, but there were a ton of cherry trees along the way. Yeah. There were like, I mean, a bunch of those streets where they're just completely lined on both sides with cherry trees. And then we also walked past the canal, which is also lined with cherry trees. Yep. Like you don't realize if you're in Japan at any other time of the year, you don't realize just how ubiquitous these cherry trees are. They're everywhere. Yeah. Especially if you're at a tourist spot, there's probably a bunch of cherry trees around. Yeah. All right, Paul, I know you were super excited about the toilets. Yeah. Tell us. So the Total Museum, first of all, they gave us little slick English audio guide. So that was nice. That was super cool. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how those things work. You get like this little pen shaped thing that hangs around your neck and they give you a little like map of the museum and you point the little pen at different parts of the map and it starts playing information to you. It is crazy. I don't know how they do that. Yeah. And the maps were like disposable. They didn't even like take them back from us at the end. I'm like, how do you make these? I I don't get it. Uh, so, also, I just want to note real quick, this museum is free. Yeah. I had no idea it was going to yeah. be free. The museum actually covers the entire history of the Toto Company. They started out apparently as a porcelain dish company. They made dishware and plates and cups and stuff, tea sets. So they went through that. There's a really cool toilet motorcycle that runs on recycled feces. <laughs> Amazing. And it has like a toilet seat as what you sit on when you're riding it. It's just really cool. Yeah. But there's so much there. Like not only does it go through the evolution of toilets, it shows you the very first one they made. It shows you the new models. It shows you the evolution of urinals in Japan and squat toilets in Japan and sinks and faucets and just like, Anything you can think of bathroom related, they've got a huge display in this museum. I didn't even realize that Toto made so many different things. Like I was just expecting toilets, but they actually made prefabricated bathrooms, like entire bathrooms. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite things that I learned there. Well, I have two favorite facts, okay? One of them is that if you go to Japan, you'll notice that like, almost every hotel that you go to, the bathrooms look extremely similar. And the reason that is, 
is that Toto started making these entire prefabricated bathrooms specifically to be put into hotels because they can just install them super quickly. So that's why they're all pretty much identical. That was yeah. that blew me away. Yeah. My other favorite fact is where the name Washlet came from. So oh, the, yeah. the Toto Washlet is like the little bidet toilet attachment thingy. And I always thought it was just like the lit that you see at like the end of Piglet or something that yeah, just means, yeah. oh, it's a cute little thing, you know, yeah. it's a mini version or whatever. But it actually comes from the phrase, let's wash. Yeah. Like, oh, let's, let's wash. And they just flip them around, squish them together, wash lit. Yeah, I had no idea. Crazy. And another real highlight is the restroom. <laughs> of course. Top of the line, best public restrooms you're going to find anywhere in the world without a doubt not only does it have the bidet you can adjust the angle of the bidet and then when you're done bideting you turn on the little blow dryer it had a blow dryer in the toilet i've never seen that before i didn't even know that was a thing that's the future man living in the future and it was so great because i'd been complaining to jason like how swampy your butt was getting. I was like, you know, for a country that has a bidet in almost every toilet, why does it have the thinnest toilet paper everywhere that dissolves on contact with water? That's true. Like it doesn't really make sense, but then now they have blow dryers in the toilets. So they solved that problem. Yeah. That is, yeah, we, we do have to mention that. Like they get so much right in the bathroom and then they give you this transparent toilet paper. Like, it's the <laughs> thinnest toilet paper you could possibly make. Yeah. Even if you wad up a whole bunch, it still just disintegrates. In, yeah. Like, yeah. not in the best way. It's bad. So from the Toto Museum, we walked back to our hotel, got some conveyor belt sushi. That was pretty good. So much. So much sushi. <laughs> yeah. The sushi place was actually, like, in the mall, just down the stairs from our hotel, but we didn't realize that. Yeah, it was literally like directly outside the lobby of the hotel, and yeah. we didn't realize. But we, we were walked right through there. the whole mall to like find the sushi place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then we went to Aru Aru City, a what do they call it? An alternative hobbies mall. It's a weeb mall. Yeah, it's a weeb mall. It's an anime manga. And idols, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Like, literally, it is a tower, and every single floor is just packed with anime, manga, and idol goods. They even have a huge manga museum in it. Yeah, that was pretty cool. There's not a lot of English there, and you can't take pictures of anything. It was still kind of fun walking through it. Definitely. Everyone was running past us, and I was like, why is everyone running through the museum? And then we get to the end, and it's like the biggest collection of manga I've ever seen in my life. And you can just sit there and read until they close. Yeah. No English manga, though. So all these kids were showing up and running through to just get to the manga as fast as possible and, and read, read their next thing. Yeah. So that was really cool. And they had a whole bunch of anime merch stores and stuff. Uh, bought a bit of merch. I got a t-shirt. I got a bunch of acrylic figures. It was, it was cool. That's good stuff. I found a lot of Yuru Camp stuff. I bought some. I wish I had bought more. And all the cool stuff and like way less crowded than Akihabara or some other places you could go to get anime stuff. 
Yeah, it was great. The only thing is I can't <laughs> I can't get the name right. I have to think about it because I keep wanting to call it Ara Ara. <laughs> like, <'cause laughs> that I, means something different. Yeah, I have that so stuck in my head. I'm like, Ara Ara City, guys. Well, it makes sense too because it's like connected to anime, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It makes sense in my brain. Yeah, I see where you're getting that connection for sure. So we only spent that day in Kita Kyushu, but man, it was a great day. It was super great. I really enjoyed Kita Kyushu. That was day 11. Day 12, we went to Osaka. And if you want to hear us talk for an hour and a half about Osaka, I don't think it was quite that long, but episode 52, we did a whole episode about Osaka. And we kind of, I mean, each of these cities that we visited where we did an episode about that city, we pretty much did exactly the things we talked about in the episode. And we did a couple things in Osaka that we maybe didn't mention in the episode. Maybe. But yeah, I feel like our city episodes that we've done... We pretty much went to those cities and did the things we talked about. And it worked out really well. Yeah. Like we didn't... I feel like we didn't make any mistakes really in those episodes <laughs> when we said like, oh, you could go here and then walk over here and then, you know, to, the to order. our own horns, you well, know. Yeah. We nailed it. <laughs> exactly. You say it, Jason. We all nailed right, it. All right. I mean, when I, you know, when I was researching those episodes, I was trying to plan out like, here's the path that you might want to take yeah, so yeah, you're not wasting time. Yeah. And it worked out really well, I got to say. Anyway, so we started... Uh, let's see, we woke up in Kitakyushu. We took a train straight to Osaka. I mean, straight to Osaka was like two over two hours, but... Yeah, like, was it two and a half or two something? Two and a half, I think, yeah. We started early, so we got there fair... Like, we still got there in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first place we went was Sakura no Miya Park, which was awesome. The name doesn't disappoint. I mean, the place is packed with cherry blossom trees. And yeah, they were in the fullest bloom. There were a bunch of families around, like doing the hanami stuff you know yeah. putting out blankets and just sitting it's right along the river there it's just really cool we even got a view of osaka castle like way off in the distance between all the cherry trees i thought that was kind of cool yeah if i was a real photographer and i had a telephoto lens i bet i could have gotten a pretty cool picture there yeah also like next to the park kind of is sakura no Miya shrine which also had some cherry blossoms that was mm-hmm. kind of cool. Then we walked over to Nambayasaka Jinja. Paul, that was that was your big thing you wanted to see, right? I think we did take a train for part of that. Yeah. But we got there pretty quick. It wasn't hard. Yeah. It was a short train ride and then a little walk. But, but Nambayasaka actually was probably even cooler than I thought it was going to be. Why? The Lionhead building is really big. It is. And it's just really cool. And they had the Sakura there, which made it extra cool. Yeah, they had a couple other little things. It's not a huge place, but I just thought it was a cool shrine and really worth stopping by and getting get a couple photos and taking in such a unique shrine building. Yeah, it was cool. It's it's worth seeing. That's kind of all there is. Like people are just there to see that lion head thing. Yeah, and you're not going to pictures spend in front of it. A ton of time there. Yeah. We saw a lot of people like getting their Instagram photos, you know, yeah, like the, girls posing in front of it, getting their boyfriends to take all these pictures of different yeah. poses. The hardest part was waiting for them to get through their 50 poses and get out of the way so you could like get a good picture of it yourself. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely worth it 
if it's not too far out of your way. I don't know if I travel like an hour to spend 20 minutes at this place, but if you're anywhere near it, it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, from there, we walked to Shinsekai. Shinsekai is a, an older part of the city. It was developed in the early 1900s. There's this big tower there called the Tsutenkaku. And I was pleasantly surprised by Shinsekai. I didn't expect it to be so cool. It's like a super lively place. There are a lot of people. It's really like bright and colorful. And there are a lot of like moving displays. Yeah, the signs above all the shops are fantastic. Yeah. Like a half of a boat like jutting out of the wall, like 3D kind of signs that are really yeah. colorful. That stuff reminded me a little bit of Dotonbori, but it kind of has more of a retro feel at the same time. Yeah, and it was crowded, but probably less crowded than Dotonbori. Yeah, so I guess that's something I wanted to say about both Osaka and Tokyo. Like for most of this trip, we were not really on kind of the main path that people take, at least like on their first trip to Japan, you know? Most people go to Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto. And if you hit those cities, you're going to be in huge crowds of people. But what I really loved about this trip was how much time we spend outside of those cities in places that are less visited and they're less busy. And I just really loved the feel of those other places. Good point. I, I like both. You know, like I had a great time everywhere we went, but like getting to Osaka and getting on that first crowded train, I kind of felt like, oh yeah, I'm in Japan. No, oh, the older I get, the less interested I am in being in big crowds. I just want room to move around and yeah. yeah. I mind it less on the train. I, I don't like when I'm at the tourist area and it's insanely crowded. That's less fun. Yeah. From Shinsekai, we walked over to Shitenoji which is a super old temple, right? Isn't it one of the oldest in the country? It's the oldest large Buddhist temple in the okay. country. And it is large. It the is. The grounds are big. I was blown away. This completely surpassed my expectations. Me too. I wasn't, yeah, I didn't think this was going to be as cool as it was. There's a five-story pagoda. That was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. There were two really impressive guardian statues at one of the gates. Those were really cool. And I also thought, you know, with this being one of the oldest temples, you could really see it. When you went into the main hall, they had murals all along the walls inside the main hall, and they looked very Indian. Yeah. Like you could tell it was like early Buddhism in Japan when it still had that really Indian influence. So I thought that was really cool. Definitely. It was kind of telling the story of Buddha's life. Yeah. But all the characters on these panels, they totally looked Indian. They didn't yeah. look Asian. Yeah. Or like, you know, <laughs> Japanese. <laughs> you know what you say, bro. <laughs> you know him. It didn't look Japanese. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and the best part. Yeah. Definitely. They had a garden here, and it's probably the coolest Japanese garden I've ever been in. Yeah. Some of the best pictures of the sakura that I got on this whole trip were in this garden because there are a bunch of cherry blossoms and it's just... Right, it was like a good garden with a bunch of cherry blossoms blooming. Yeah, and you got all the like petals falling down into the water. Yeah, and there were multiple ponds, there were streams, there were really like nice walking paths and just plants and flowers everywhere. It was awesome. 
So awesome. Uh, so then we walked over to this cafe that I really wanted to visit. This was what I was most interested in doing in Osaka. I wanted to eat a dog at this cafe. <laughs> Not an actual woof woof Yeah, explain dog. yourself, Jason. <laughs> so this cafe is kind of a viral Instagram sort of thing, I guess. I, I think that's where I first saw this. They have this little like cake. I'm not even sure exactly what it's made of. It's like some sort of mousse or something, but it's in the shape of this little dog like laying down on the plate, and it's insanely detailed and realistic looking. And not just a dog, like a wrinkly pug dog. It looks really cool. Yeah. So I was super excited, and when we walked in there, I saw it in like the display case right at the front, and I'm like, there it is. I'm going to eat the dog. Yeah. And then I sat down, and I ordered the dog, and she's like, we're out of the dog. Yeah. And I said, no. We were there in the afternoon, so probably got to get there a little earlier. But I, I saw the one in the case. It must have been the very last one. And someone ordered it right before me. Because when we walked out, I looked and it wasn't in there anymore. Yeah. Like it wasn't just a display I think one. there were two in the case when we walked in. Oh, <sighs> we were so close. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I got a nice, uh, I don't know, 600 yen orange juice or whatever. Yeah, I ended up getting a latte, and they did have some nice latte art. There was a little cat. That was a really cute on cat. my latte, but yeah. I didn't want to eat a cat. I wanted to eat a dog. Eh, well, you know, sometimes you got to settle. Next time. So after that, Paul and I split up for dinner, and then we met back up at Nagai Botanical Gardens because at night this botanical garden transforms into a digital art, uh, what do you call it? It's just some mind-blowing stuff. It's like a light show with yeah. music. I would call it like an interactive light and sound show. Yeah. Maybe you've heard of Team Lab. They have a real famous place in Tokyo where they have like an entire building just full of their digital art stuff. But they do stuff all over Japan. And what Team Lab is, it's an international digital art collective. So they have all these different people that specialize in like lighting and motion sensors and all this different stuff. And they come together to make these just totally insane, surreal, super innovative art installations. So yeah, they had one at this park and it was incredible. And not only that, we got to meet up with a couple podcast listeners, which was super cool and just totally enhanced the experience, you know? Yeah, it made it, it made it fun having five of us walking through there instead of just two of us. Yeah. And it was big, too. Like, the displays were really big. There was a lot to walk around. Yeah, there are, like, different sections of this botanical garden that have different types of displays in them. Yeah. There were, like, small glowy eggs. There were really big glowy eggs. Those were fun. Yeah, they're like big inflatable things yeah. that you can kind of... If you stand it in front of them, you can get like really cool silhouette pictures. Yeah. And you can like run in between them. I almost got like stuck between some in the middle. It was fun. Yeah. Google some videos of of Team Lab stuff or something. It's, yeah. it's hard to describe because it's just so... <laughs> yeah, they displays uh... on the water too. I found it like super relaxing. Because you're just slowly strolling through. It's nighttime. It's dark out. You got these cool lights. They had this like really soothing music going. I came out of it feeling like really great. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally a mood changer. And that 
was day 12. Day 13, we woke up in Osaka and then we took the train over to Kobe. Which only takes like 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah, they're right next to each other. And uh, we started out at the waterfront area. Oh, by the way, we did a whole episode about Kobe as well. That would be episode 96. Check that out. We did pretty much everything we talked about, except the islands. We didn't visit the islands. And uh, we didn't make it inside the Maritime Kawasaki Museum either. True. Wasn't open yet when we got there, and we didn't make it back in time. So you could easily do a couple days in Kobe. Definitely, yeah. Especially, we also didn't go to Arima Onsen, which is kind of on the other side of the mountains there. I hear it's really nice. Okay. So we started out in the waterfront area. The port tower, I was really excited to see, but sadly it was <laughs> under renovation. You're, Completely you're, obstructed. You're always going to run into a, a couple things under renovation. But they got the really famous B Kobe sign there. Yep. You got take some pictures, pictures there. We saw some ruins from the uh, 1995 Great Hanshin earthquake. And they have like pictures and kind of some text about what happened and how the city recovered from that. And that was pretty crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Like the amount of damage, like they couldn't even get anything in because all the ports were ruined. All the roads were ruined. All the train tracks were ruined. It was, it was wild. Yeah. Uh, From there, we walked over to Nankin Machi, which is Kobe's Chinatown. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah, it's not huge, but it's really cool. Tons of amazing street food. Yeah, the st- more street food there than I feel like anywhere else we went. Mm-hmm. The candied fruit was really good. Yeah, that was great. But what was the best thing, Paul? The fried sesame balls. They sell them everywhere. They kind of sell a lot of the same street food at like different shops on the street. And I kept seeing the sesame balls, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And then Paul bought them, and he let me try one, and... They're so freaking good. <laughs> They're so good. They got the sweet bean paste inside and it's like crispy and all fried on the outside and covered in sesame seeds. Like, yeah. ah, just were, really good. They were perfect. Uh, after. Oh, this was your big lunch. Yep. This was this Jason's was my, big, big money lunch. If I'm in Kobe, I better get some Kobe beef. So I bought the largest, most expensive Kobe beef steak I could find. Look at all that fat in there. I know. That's that's what's so amazing about it is like the marbling. That it's thing not... like took a week off your life, <laughs> but you probably gained it back with all the walking and biking you did. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like it's not like there are chunks of fat on the edges like you usually see on steak. It's like the fat is perfectly evenly dispersed throughout the tenderloin. And it was, uh, it was the most tender amazing steak i've had in my life and i've had kobe beef before but this one i really splurged and got like the very top one that they sell yeah and it was i mean it was a whole like fancy dinner you know they planned it all out i mean if you're paying that much you know yeah they better give you a nice meal they're giving you an experience there are a bunch of courses and it's all like timed perfectly you know he's cooking it in front of you and they don't just like throw the whole steak in front of you all at once it's separated into like a couple pieces and then they're cutting it up into little bite-sized pieces and they're kind of interspersing that with other things like veggies and whatnot. So you get to like savor that steak slowly over time throughout the course of the meal. And I mean, it was, it was just awesome. Uh, the place I went to, the restaurant is called Ishida. 
they have a few shops there. I went to the the main location, and uh, it was awesome. It was really awesome. Well, I had a falafel burger, and it was nice. I believe you. <laughs> uh, after that, we met back up near Ikuta Jinja, which is the most famous shrine in Kobe. And actually, Kobe, the city, was named after the followers of this shrine hundreds of years ago. But we actually, I think we, when I texted Paul to see where he was, he was in an arcade right next to the entrance. And when I went in there, I was super excited to find the arcade version of Project Diva, which is the Hatsune Miku game that I've been obsessed with for the last couple years Yeah, or something. That was a small arcade, but really cool because it wasn't busy at all. Yeah, and that it was had great. like a really nice selection of games. Yeah, it's really nice when you find an arcade that's like not very busy and it has all the games that you want to play. Yeah, they had like Dance Dance, they had Taiko. It was good. Yeah. So Ikuta Shrine. It's pretty cool. It was. I've seen a lot of shrines, so it's like hard to impress me, but this was a pretty cool one. It doesn't hurt that the Sakura are blooming. <laughs> it never hurt at all. Yep. But they have a cool little like row of Tori gates. Yeah, there's like a little Inari shrine inside the big shrine, right? There were foxes up there, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. They had a little pond area that had a bunch of flowers blooming in front of it that looked really nice. Mm-hmm. But this place is also known for the water fortunes, right? Right. Yeah, you can get a little piece of paper that's like blank. And then you bring it to the back of the shrine. There's a little pond where you can stick it in there. And then the, the fortune magically appears on the paper. We didn't do that, but we saw some people doing it. Yeah. Once we left the shrine, kind of right behind there, up a little hill, is the Kitano Cho neighborhood, which has a bunch of like Western-style mansions where Western merchants used to live. Yeah, it's kind of interesting being in Kobe and you're just walking by all these like... Look like little old German houses or something. Yeah. You can tour a bunch of them. We didn't go inside any of them, though, because we were making our way to the mountain. So th- at this point, you're like moving north. Kobe is like on the south edge of Honshu, right on the water there. And then kind of behind the little strip of city, there are these mountains. So the further north you get, the more up you're going. And eventually we got to a ropeway that took us up to Nunobiki Herb Gardens. And I mean, the ropeway was cool. You get great views of the city from your little car as you're going up. But Nunobiki Herb Gardens. Okay. We talked about this in the Kobe episode, like I said, uh, 96. And I think you underestimated how cool this place was going to be. I don't know what I read about this place because I remember thinking, oh, it's just an herb garden. They got herbs in a garden. Like, okay, that sounds cool, I guess. But this place blew me away. This is probably my favorite place in Kobe. That we, Well, it's definitely yeah, my favorite place sure. that we saw in Kobe. Because you get up there, and it's not just like an herb garden. It's like... There's a rose huge, garden at the top. sorts of gardens. There's a, there was the scent museum or... Yeah, you can try out different scents, I guess. I mean, they have like little jars of all these different things and it tells you what it is and you smell it and you're like, oh yeah, that smells like that. Yeah. Yeah. But the coolest part is the gardens. Yeah. Like, and with all the sakura too, I mean, there are cherry blossoms blooming all around you and 
again, we were there when they were just in full bloom. Like they couldn't have been more perfect. And then just these big fields of like tulips and stuff too. Yeah, I don't even know how many gardens there were because there's like an herb garden kind of near the top and they just have like hundreds of different kinds of herbs. Then there was like a four seasons garden that had little spots that were blooming in each season. And then you get to the flower section and it's just, it just keeps going. Yeah, and you kind of, the ropeway brings you up to the top of the mountain and then you're kind of walking down it. And as you walk down, you keep going through all of these beautiful gardens even had insane. hammocks like out in the sun that you could lay in yeah. and rest for a little while. I got some lavender flavor ice cream. That was pretty good. So yeah, I really, I can't say enough about these gardens. Like, I mean, I know you kind of, you got to just see them to really get it, but I'll, I'll post it on Instagram, you know, but even the pictures, you just, it doesn't get it across like how amazing this place is. And the pictures are really cool. Thank you. So you walk back down until about the midway station of the gondola. And all of that between there is just like gardens that are amazing. So you, most people, I think, take the gondola from the midway station back down. But we kept walking. And it kind of just becomes like a road that no one's really on. Yeah. But we eventually got to a really cool waterfall. One of the top three waterfalls in Japan, Paul. Yeah. Nunobiki Falls. It's really impressive. And when we were there, there wasn't as much water running down it as there sometimes is. Like we saw pictures where there was a lot more water coming down. But even so, it's really impressive. So it's pretty tall Mm -hmm. and there's kind of a pool at the bottom. And then the pool also like filters into this other waterfall. So it's like a series of waterfalls kind of. But then the craziest part I thought was all the rock around the waterfall is like glistening. Like it looks like it's all silver. Yeah. I don't really understand how it's like that. Like I was thinking maybe it's mineral deposits or something that makes it all shimmery. It was really cool. Really pretty. I've seen a number of waterfalls and this one was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Definitely Definitely worth a look. There were quite a lot of people hiking up to see it. Yeah. We were one of the only ones coming down to see it. I think a lot of people like hiked up from the city just to see it. Yeah, it's kind of, it's pretty close to the bottom. Yep. So when we got to the bottom, we took a train over to Motomachi Shopping Street. This is the very top shopping street in Kobe. And I've been to a lot of shopping streets in Japan. Gotta say, this is a pretty good one. I really liked it. Yeah. It had a lot of cool stuff. I, I feel like I could shop there for a while. Agreed. And it went on for a long ways. Like we were just it's, walking down this thing for like kilometers, it felt like. Yeah, it's really long. Uh, and then we went back to the station that we arrived at, Kobe Station, because right around there, there are a bunch of malls. And at this point, I don't know, we were pretty tired, right? Like we were both kind of feeling it from walking around all day. We checked out one of them called uh, Mosaic. It was fine. Honestly, the shopping street was better. Yeah. I mean, the mall was right on the harbor, so you kind of got like some cool views, mm-hmm. but it was just a mall. Yep. And then we went back to Osaka, to the hotel. And that is day 13. We got one more day left to cover, and that is when we went to Nico. 
So this was a pretty long travel day. Like, when did we leave Osaka? It was pretty early. Yeah. We left Shinosaka at 7.18. Didn't get to Nikko until early afternoon. Yeah. Because we had to stop in Tokyo, and then we had to transfer trains at Utsunomiya, because the Shinkansen doesn't go all the way to Nikko. And... We actually missed our train in Tokyo. Oh, that's right. Because our first Shinkansen was actually delayed, which is very uh, unusual. Yeah. It said it was delayed because somebody had hit an emergency stop button on a train. It said there was an emergency. I I don't know. I swear it said somebody somebody hit the emergency stop button. Yeah. Well, maybe, hopefully they did because there was actually an emergency. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, but so we, it was again, it was easy to go get, we went to the ticket counter and they gave us the next available train, which was only like, we only had to wait like 10 more minutes or something. It wasn't bad. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Uh, once we got to Nico, we split up for lunch and I was really excited to try this place called Nico Yuba Zen. So Yuba is sometimes called tofu skin. Basically, they like boil, well, not boil, but heat up a vat of soy milk, and then there's this skin that forms on top, and they just pull off that skin. That's Yuba, and then you can do all sorts of stuff with it. So I got this amazing meal where I got Yuba served in a bunch of different ways. It was used as a wrap for like a sushi roll. There was even some like dessert Yuba. It was super good. Oh, by the way, we did a whole episode about Nico, episode 80. And we did all the stuff we talked about pretty yeah, much. Yeah. One of the first things we saw that we talked about in that episode was Shinkyo Bridge. What'd you think, Paul? Not super impressive. It's a nice looking bridge and it's old, you know? Yeah. We didn't go into like the temple right kind of on the side of it. They had a statue in there of the guy that uh, basically founded Nico. Like he set up the first temple there. Um, what else did we do that day? We went to the Imperial Villa. Yeah, that was really cool. We got there like kind of just before they closed. I was a little bit surprised. Like I remember when I did my research on that, it sounded like it was all kind of set up the same way it was when people lived there. But when we first got in there, I was surprised to see that like there's a decent sized area that's pretty much just museum. Like they have a lot of text talking about the history of the place it changed hands a lot. Like it wasn't always the emperor's residence or anything. Yeah. And it grew a lot. There were parts of it that were built in all these different eras. So that was actually kind of cool because you could kind of see the style of the eras. There were like Western style rooms that came from the later eras and traditional rooms that came from the earlier eras. Right. It actually surprised me how much craftsmanship there was on display. They had all these displays about how they refurbished and kind of like redid the house. So they talked yeah. a ton about like traditional Japanese building crafts. Right. I they, didn't really realize how much of that there would be. They talked about how they cleaned the ceiling and stuff. And they had like a little display showing the different stages of like how you clean the wood without damaging it. Yeah. They had some displays on how they made like the wooden joints with no nails how they just kind of like slide into each other and lock in place. Yeah. It's a beautiful building, like especially from the outside. I just really like that kind of natural wood look. Yeah. It's got a garden outside that's pretty nice. 
There's like a couple courtyards in the middle, too, that are kind of like small gardens. Mm-hmm. I guess I was kind of hoping that it would look more lived in, like they would have more furniture and stuff. And there really wasn't. There were a lot of rooms that were just totally empty. Yeah. But also, I mean, I guess like in traditional Japanese houses, rooms were made to be multi-use and you there probably have, wasn't a lot of furniture. Yeah, you wouldn't have like a lot of permanent furniture. Yeah. And I doubt they had much left because they probably took it all with them when they left <laughs> the last time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool. I liked the room with the pool table in there. It's where the emperor lived during World War II. Right. Because it was out of the way, try to keep him safe. There were a bunch of bomb shelters like dug around the property. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we saw those. They have like a a weeping cherry tree that's over 400 years old. Yeah. That was really cool. We were literally just like a couple days too early to see it bloom because we took a bus past it on our last day in Nico and we saw it like in the distance with the flowers on there. Yeah. You could just see like the buds starting to come up the day we were there. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that I didn't quite expect like i knew obviously nika was the furthest north city we were going to hit so the cherry blossoms were going to bloom latest but also because of the elevation like nika is up in the mountains and it makes it a lot cooler and it makes the effects of spring happen a lot later like i didn't expect that as much like all the trees were pretty much still completely bare yeah i wasn't too surprised i guess because i remember it being like a summer retreat to get away from the heat yeah. So I was like, yeah, it must be cooler up there. But maybe I was surprised about how bare it actually was because everything was blooming so much everywhere else we were. Yeah. And we did actually see a little bit of cherry blossoms. I mean, I even have a picture here at the villa where there's a tree that's blooming. Just wasn't that big, really old one. Yeah. All the other deciduous trees around were just bare branches. <laughs> yeah. No leaves even. Yeah. So I think that's pretty much it, except... Well, we got to our hotel, right? And the hotel. That was another really great hotel. Good job finding that one. Thank you. The hotels in Nico are different. Like, you don't have the chain hotels. You don't have big hotels. Yeah. They're all, like, small independent hotels. And ours happened to have an outdoor onsen. It was so great. We went in there every single night because, I mean, why wouldn't you? It was so relaxing and just like the perfect way to end a day yeah and i was tired at this point of the trip yeah and we did a lot in nico too to tire ourselves out even more so being able to end the day you know you'd shower off and clean up and then you'd walk outside and in the evening it was like cold like immediately you're like oh i'm cold and then you dip into the onsen oh man it was amazing. Then you'd come out and we'd have like a beer, like a cold beer after being in the hot onsen. Ah, oh, just yeah. perfect. So perfect. Onsen life is best life. Definitely. And I liked that in the hotel, in the lobby, they have this little area with a bunch of seating and manga. And they had some English manga. So I sat and read that. And uh, when I wasn't having a beer, I would have some fruit milk. I know we talked in the onsen episode about how that's a popular drink when you get out of the onsen is like banana milk or strawberry milk or yeah. melon milk or whatever. So I got some banana milk at the kombini for after the onsen. I read some manga. It was great. And they give you a little uh, like yukatas or like a robe to wear in the hotel uh, after you get out of the onsen. So it's just 
just real chill, perfect relaxation. Yeah. It's kind of nice because like everything in Nico's done by like five o'clock. Mm-hmm. So you just, we'd get back by like five, five thirty every night and just relax. I actually really enjoyed having all of that time in the evening to just wind down and let your body recover from all the walking during the yeah. day. Yep. It was nice. So nice. Well, that's week number two. Yeah. One week left to go. That's right. That's going to be the next episode. It sure will. Uh, If you want to see some pictures from the trip, I'll be posting them on Instagram where we are at SJP Podcast. I've been posting some on Twitter too. All right. We'll see if Twitter still exists by the time this episode is released. (laughs) It's still chugging along in its weird sort of Twitter way. Wasn't Elon trying to change it to Titter? Something I stupid. Know. I don't know. Titter. <laughs> that guy's a moron. I, uh, I I think after saying that, we have to mark this episode explicit. <laughs> Bad joke. Did we not already? Oh, we already talked about drinking beer. So okay, okay, explicit. Right, we're good. Yeah, Elon's got some very odd ideas. But it's kind of a hot mess. It's fun in its own way. All right. Well, I guess that's it, right? Anything else? Join us next time. Yeah, please do. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.